Now that is some theme music right there, isn't it? It's our new series, Foothold, How to Conquer Your Next Big Thing. And who doesn't need to know how to do that, how to conquer your next big thing? And yet some of you, you've already figured this out. Because just in the last year maybe, or recently, you have, you have conquered some big thing in your life. How many of you have graduated something? You know, graduated high school, kindergarten, something. You know, like, yeah, college, uh, graduate school. Yeah, there are a number of you graduated this year. That's awesome. That's a huge accomplishment. You conquered your, your next big thing. Some of you have retired this year. Anyone retired recently in the last year? Everyone's still working. Working forever. Okay, that's all right. Um, but some, some people have retired in the last year, and you've gotten through your career, and uh, you've made it to the promised land of retirement. Some of you maybe this year have ki- conquered a lifelong fear. Maybe it's fear of heights. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a fear of roller coasters. Or uh, I have a friend, actually, he's 39 years old, and his whole life he's been afraid of water. And he just, this last month, decided he was going to take swimming lessons to get over this fear of water. And he's having a blast. He's enjoying it. That's a big deal to be a 39-year-old guy who is, uh, who is conquering a fear like that. Maybe that's, that's you this year. Uh, maybe this year you've beat cancer. Maybe this year you ran a marathon. Uh, maybe this year you got really ambitious and you conquered something big. You went down into your basement storage area and you cleaned it up. <laughs> that is not for the faint of heart, is it? Um, now, if you've done something big like that in your life, if you've conquered something big, something that's taken some, some time and effort and emotion and energy to, to get yourself up for and to, to achieve, w- when you conquer something like that, how does it feel? I mean, just shout out. If you've conquered something recently, how does it feel? Give me an adjective to describe how you feel. Awesome. Great. Five awesomes. Liberated. Liberated. That's a good one. Fulfilled. Fulfilling. Yeah. I, I'm noticing no one's saying Depressed. And yet, here's what I've discovered, that after you conquer something big, you feel great for a little while, but inevitably for most of us, after you achieve something big, there's that thing that they either call letdown, some people have even called it post-achievement depression. And uh, whether, whether you know it or not by a title, maybe you've experienced it, where you've worked really hard at something, you've poured yourself into something, you've made it there, you've, you've got to the top of that peak, and it feels really great, there's a sense of accomplishment, but then you look around and you go, now what? All of that work and all of that energy, and, and I'm here, and I guess it's great, but, but now what? Am I supposed to go do something else? Am I supposed to start all over again on my next peak? See, today we're going to encounter a situation where God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, were, they were in a moment like this. Now, if you don't know a lot about the Israelites, let me just explain to you what's been going on in their lives. Um, they, they had been slaves for a few hundred years in Egypt. And you might have heard this of this guy Moses that God taps on the shoulder to, to go and rescue them from slavery. And so uh, God raises up this guy Moses and Moses goes and he, he rescues the Israelites and he brings them out of Egypt and it's all good. But God's plan for Israel isn't just that they would be rescued from slavery in Egypt. His plan was that he would take them to this place called the promised land. That they would have their own land where they, where they could be free and they could be full and they could be gods and they could be his people and, and they could live out life under his blessing. And that was his plan for them. And so Moses leads them out of slavery and he's taking them on this journey which should have taken a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months to the promised land. And it ends up taking 40 years. And you thought your dad was bad with directions. 40 years. And there's all this hardship and trial and, and all this stuff that goes on in the wilderness and, and it's very difficult. And then finally, finally, the people get 
through the wilderness, and they make it to the promised land. And they're standing there at the brink of this promised land, and they're looking at this land that is going to be theirs. And you can believe that after 40 years of wandering, there are some who want to throw a party. Some want to just lie down and take a nap. Some are ready to retire. And yet God says, no, I've got another challenge for you. The 40 years in the wilderness, that that was good, but I've got another hill for you to climb. There's another challenge that I want you to conquer that's waiting for you. And, And here was the challenge, that this land, it wasn't move in ready. It wasn't just ready for them to, to move into. God hadn't cleared it out in the, in the years that they were waiting. No, it was a land that was filled with bad, awful, mean, vicious people. And they have to now go and claim the land. So we're going to look um, for, for, the, for the series, for the beginning of the series, really for the whole series. We're going to look at the first few chapters of a book called Joshua in the Bible. Um, Joshua is a story about a guy named Joshua, a leader named Joshua. And we're going to start at chapter 1. We're going to move through the first parts of Joshua in this series. We're not going to get through the whole book. Um, but today we're going to look as, as God has led the people through one significant chapter of their life. And, and they made it. You know, they climbed that mountain of the wilderness. But now there's another hill for them to climb, another challenge that they are called to face, and we're going to look at it right now, Joshua chapter 1. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, told you about Moses, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, who was Moses' aide, here's what he said, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them to the Israelites. So, so God uh, appears or, or speaks rather to this guy Joshua. And Joshua has been an aide, an associate, an advisor um, of Moses all of those years in the wilderness. And he served faithfully, but now Moses has died. They've had a time of mourning for Moses, their great leader. And, and God says, all right, Joshua, it's your turn. I want you to lead these people into the land. I want you to take over this land from all of the people who are living there. And, and there are these strong and powerful people living in walled cities. But Joshua, I want you to go there and lead the people to settle in to the land. Now, can you imagine how Joshua must have been feeling as God described this challenge for him? I mean, for starters, he has to follow Moses. Who wants to be the guy to follow Moses? No one, right? I mean, no one wants to follow Moses. And not only that, but, but this, this is difficult. The, the wilderness was tough, but this is going to be a difficult task for them to face. And so you can imagine Joshua feeling like, gosh, we just got done with 40 years in the wilderness. Can't I have a break? Can't you find someone else? And God says, no, Joshua, you're my guy. I want you to lead the Israelites into the land. I want you to face this challenge. And, and then God gives them some word of hope, words of hope. Look, look what God says. He says, I will give you every place. Where you set your foot, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert all the way up to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. So be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips, right? Keep your Bible not on your shelf. It doesn't help you there. Keep it on your lips. Know it. Speak about it. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. 
then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you one more time, be strong and courageous. He says, do not be terrified, uh, afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Israel's come off a really big season, and, and they just want to celebrate, they just want to relax, and God says, no, I've got another challenge for you. I've got more for you to do. Why? You know, why doesn't God let them rest? Well, for starters, because the mission isn't done yet. God's plan for the Israelites wasn't to take them to the promised land just to look around. No, his, his plan was to, to actually have them inherit the promised land, to let them live there as their home. And so it's not good enough to stand on the outskirts of the promised land. There's more work to be done. The mission hasn't been accomplished yet. Now, now as a church, we understand this, right? There are those seasons where, where you're sitting there and you're thinking, gosh, why won't you let us rest, Dion? Why don't you let us rest, Steve Howard? And yet here we are and we're saying, hey, giving's been good, but, but come on, let's, let's push harder to make sure we meet budget this year. Or we say, hey, we, we need you to volunteer to serve. I know you just served in, in some ways. We need you to serve for 4th of July to be a great welcome, uh, have a great welcome party to our community. I stand up here and I invite you every week. I say, hey, get out there and invite someone back with you next week. Or I challenge you to live the six. And, and, and you hear that and you're just like challenge after challenge after challenge. And you're saying, gosh, can't we rest? And although it's true that God did create one day a week for rest, and you should take that. No, we can't rest. Otherwise, we don't get to retire. We don't get to go on vacation. Why? Because the mission hasn't been accomplished yet. There's still a community full of people who do not know about the love of God shown through Christ Jesus. So that's one reason that God doesn't let us rest. He keeps putting challenges in our lives. But the other reason is this, and, and I think this is important. I think few of us actually know this or believe this. We just won't, as people, we just won't fare well. We won't do well if we don't have our next big thing on the horizon. I'll say that again. We as people just won't fare well. We won't do well if we don't have a next big thing on the horizon. I discovered this the hard way in the last year. Um, a couple of years ago, we were going through a really hard season as a church. I was going through a hard season in my personal life. Uh, we were short-staffed. And a lot of those short staff positions affected me, and so I was carrying a load that was too big. And uh, it, was, it was just a tough season. We were going through a lot as a church. Some of you remember that. Um, it was good, but it, but it was hard. And we finally came through an end of that season, and, and, um, and things were good, and God was blessing us, and he blessed us with new staff people. And finally, it was like you could, you could exhale. And, and for me, I was, I was worn out. I felt burnt out. I felt tired. And all I wanted to do was lay down somewhere and take a nap. And so I kind of did that. I, I kind of backed off for a little while and tried to, tried to catch my breath again. But here's what I found, that, that I took some time and I did that. But I noticed I wasn't really recovering. I wasn't feeling better. I wasn't feeling energized for ministry. I wasn't feeling energized for life. I was, I was frankly, I was feeling kind of numb. And after a few weeks, after that, that stayed on, I thought, there's, there's something not right. I don't, I'm not used to feeling this way. And uh, I had some friends who invited me to this workshop that was about, you know, changing your perspective and thinking. And I thought, hey, maybe that's what I need. I'll go. And uh, I was just willing to give anything a shot. And so I went to this workshop, and it was a great workshop. I learned a lot. But, but here's, here, was, here was my re revelation that really opened up my mind to what was, what was going on with me. I realized that we had been through a hard season, yes. But I realized that what had happened is that after I'd gotten through that hard season, I had not yet identified my next big thing. 
And if you don't do that, this is what I discovered, if, if you don't have a next big thing in mind, at least for me, this is true, that my brain will slip into a low-grade depression. See, see, this is the thing. God has wired you. He has wired your brain to need another challenge, to be a part of his work in the world of doing something big. Gary Shopper, who's a friend of mine, he's a pastor friend of mine. He served on staff here a number of years and uh, worked in pastoral care and a number of things. Uh, he, he's a very insightful guy. And uh, one day he shared with me this insight, and I, I just thought it was profound. I think you'll want to hear this. In his years of living here in, in West St. Louis County and living amongst people, he discovered the secret to aging well. He says, I've seen this a million times with people who retire. I've noticed that there is a difference between those who age well and those who don't. Now, I know some of you are itching to hear this. You're like, tell me the secret. This is what Gary said. He said, that the secret is the people who age well after they retire are the people who have enough money to keep updating their houses. Now, before you're too appalled, um, well, well, that's partially true, what Gary was talking about was something bigger. What, what he actually would say is, he said, they're the people who, in their life, they can, they can keep a sense of progress. They keep identifying their next big thing. Even if it's as trite as our next kitchen or our next bathroom project, that can be enough to help you stay fully alive. See, today I want to ask you an important question. The question is simple, but it's important. What's your next big thing? What is it for you? And see, if you're just going through life and you're living the daily schedule and, and you're doing the daily grind and you've got no sense of the greater picture, the greater purpose or the greater direction for all of it, then chances are you are like I was a year ago. You're sitting here in a low-grade depression. You feel purposeless. You feel numb. You, you just don't feel very energized about life. See, you need your next big thing. Someone else has, has uh, put the question this way, and I think this is a great question. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you were guaranteed success, what would you do? How would that change your life? What would be your next big hill to climb then? See, I think some of you need to spend time with this question this week because it might reveal to you what your next big thing is. Now, now here's a caution as you begin this. And, and this series is about identifying and then conquering your next big thing and how, how God wants to help you do that. But, but here's, here's, here's a word of caution for you. Your next big thing, it doesn't have to be big to anyone else but you. Really. Your next big thing doesn't have to be big to anyone else but you. See, some of you are in a phase of life where, where you're raising young kids and your life is all about diapers and feeding people and cleaning up after people over and over and over again. And so guess what? Your next big thing is going to look different than my next big thing. And my next big thing is going to look different than, than uh, you know, someone really important like Donald Trump's next big thing because you know he's going to be the president now. You heard that right. Get used to that, President Trump. You're going to have to say that. Um, <laughs> good luck. Um, right? So, so depending on where you are in life, your next big thing might look different. But, but here's, here's the thing. Your next big thing doesn't have to be big to anyone else but you. Maybe getting your kid potty trained is your next big thing. Maybe tackling that mess of a, of a playroom is your next big thing. Maybe your next big thing is coming alongside your kid and helping them with a challenge in their life. Or maybe your next big thing is, is finally paying attention to your marriage after you've neglected it for a while and it's, and it's fractured and, and some people are going out and they're taking over companies and they're getting promotions and, 
Maybe for you, the next big thing that God wants for you to do is simply to, to re-engage with your spouse and fix your fractured marriage. See, since it's Father's Day weekend, I just want to speak to dads for a minute about, about your next big thing. Because I, I, can, I can identify with dads in the room. I'm a dad, and I know that being a dad is hard. I, I hear moms say that being, mom, being a mom is hard, and I'll take your word for it. I've never been a mom, so I can't help you with that, but I have been a dad. And so I know that being a dad is, is hard work. To be a dad, you've, you've got to be a lot of opposites. You've, you've got to live in tension. You've got to be strong, but tender, right? You've got to have a plan, but be flexible. You've got to work hard, but be home for dinner and don't be late, right? You've got to provide financially, but you have to be available emotionally and spiritually and in every other way. So, so we as dads, we sense sometimes that even though we're doing all the things we should do, we're, we're paying the bills, and we're loving our families, and we're going to work, and we're coaching Little League, and we're, we're even saying prayers with our kids at bedtime. There are moments where, where we sense it's not enough, and you know what? We're right. It isn't enough. And do you want to know the reason that there are so many desperate housewives in the world? Do you want to know the reason that there are so many bored and therefore delinquent kids? Dads, do you want to know the reason that so many of us fall victim to escapist dreams? It's because we haven't taken the time in all of our business and all the important work that we're doing to identify the next big thing, not just for ourselves, but for our families. A few years ago, I read a book um, by a guy named Donald Miller. It's called A A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, I think is how it goes. I think it's up there. You can read it for yourself. But um, great book. He's kind of a a rambly guy. That's why I like him, I guess. Um, It's a great book. But I remember in particular one story that I just love. He told a story about his friend named Jason. And Jason was a dad. And, uh, and was, it was a good dad. He was a devoted dad, Christian dad, raised his family. His family was a really strong family. And then when his daughter got to her teenage years, things started falling apart. Her life became a mess. Um, she was a, was, a, was a girl who was a, was a good girl, you know, uh, just, you know, dream child kind of thing, you know, perfect child. And then she had her teenage years and she started rebelling. And she started dating the wrong guy. And she started doing drugs and all of that stuff. And, and you know, the father was beside himself, this guy Jason. He was beside himself because he, he just didn't understand what had happened to his little girl. And after doing some thinking, and this guy was a writer, after doing some thinking, he realized what was wrong. He realized that his daughter and the rest of his family, they were trapped in this, this small and uninspiring story. And because of that, that's why his daughter was acting out. She was trying to live a bigger story, and she was doing it the only way she could, by, by being the bad girl in a big story. And, and, and he realized that, that this, was, this was his responsibility, so here's what he did. He went to the bank, and he took out a second mortgage on his house. He took $25,000 out of his mortgage, second mortgage on his house, and, uh, and he, he agreed to fund an orphanage in Mexico. And he sat down his family, had a family meeting, and told them about this. And of course, his wife wanted to go to counseling right then and there. She's like, get the $25,000 back. We're going to counseling. Um, and his daughter thought it was lame and dumb, and why are you spending money on this? And, and everyone was up in arms. But, but over time, they started warming to this idea. And they started learning about the plight of orphans in Mexico. And they started learning about how they could help. And, and, uh, and they started sharing it with other people. And his daughter got on social media, and she started talking about this thing. And, and, uh, and they started planning a trip to Mexico to meet some of the kids that would live in the orphanage they helped fund and they started looking for ways they could raise money to pay off the second mortgage quicker. And his whole family's life turned around. Turned his daughter's life around. 
This girl who had been a good girl who had kind of lost her way, she ended up dumping this no good guy that she was dating because dads get this, this. This guy told her one day that she was too fat. And instead of sticking up or putting up with that, rather, she, uh, she dumped the guy. And, and here's what this Father Jason said made the difference. This is a quote from the book. He said, I realize that no girl who plays the role of a hero in her story dates a guy who uses her. And, you know, you could fill in the blank a number of ways. No, and it's not even no girl, but, but no person who plays the role of hero in their story, you know, gets lost in illicit drugs or gets bogged down by um, idle things, you know, just, just buying toys and living the high life and, and uh, gets involved in pornography or anything else. So, so no person who plays the hero in their story dates a guy who, who uses her. He says, she knows who she is. She just forgot for a while. Dads, I know you work hard. I know you do so many good things for your family. But can I ask you a question today? Are you trying to create a narrative for your family where they get to play the part of heroes in your family story? Or is the narrative you're creating allowing your family to play the role of consumers, of people for whom life is all about them, people who are at the center of the universe? See, there are people like that in stories too. They're never the hero. In Star Wars, that guy was called Jabba the Hutt. Remember? So dads, I want to ask you again, are you creating a narrative for your family where they get to play the role of heroes? See, in order for them to be heroes, in order for you to be a hero in this narrative, you've got to identify your next big thing because that's what heroes do. They conquer the next big thing. It's never about them. Now, really quickly, I just want to share with you some of the challenges that, that, that keep us from being able to identify our next big thing, not even conquering it, but just simply identifying it. The first is apathy. We're just apathetic. We, we don't care. We get to the place where we're numb. We just, we just don't care about high-minded things in life. We're too busy keeping up with the Kardashians to care about our next big thing, right? And maybe that's an obstacle for you. For maybe for some of us, it's ADD. Not legitimate diagnosed ADD, but this cultural ADD that we are all afflicted with. Where we simply do not focus on anything for very long. And I'll tell you, to figure out your next big thing, it's going to take some time for you to do that. It's going to take some focus. And for, for a lot of us, man, we, we just can't be bothered with focusing that long to figure this out. Not only for ourselves, but also for our families. Fear of commitment, that's huge. We want to keep all of our doors open, all of our options open, so we don't want to identify the next big thing. We want lots of big things to happen in our life, and so we try to play the field forever. And it doesn't work. You'll never get anywhere that way. Or fear of failure. Gosh, I think this is huge in our culture today. That we are terrified of failure, and because of that, we're so afraid of failing that we don't even dream big dreams anymore. I think for some of you, you are failing to identify the next big thing in your life, whether you're a dad or not. Uh, you're failing to identify the next big thing in your life because you know that once you identify it, there is a real risk that you might not achieve it. And you'll have to experience failure. It's an epidemic in our culture right now. So, so we've, got, we've got people who uh, go off to college and we go off to college and, and we get an education and then instead of moving to that city and, and chasing after a job and, and pulling ourselves up, you know, by our bootstraps and just making a life for ourselves, what do we do? We move home. Because that's easier, that's more comfortable, it's safer, we won't fail. We're finding as a culture that we're getting married later and later, or some are not getting married at all. Instead, we, we resort to relationships that are hookups, we resort to things like pornography, 
Why? Because marriages fail all the time. And who wants to have a fail, failed marriage on your resume? So, so we, just, we just don't even do it at all. Or for a lot of us, you know, there are other, other factors in our life um, that, that we're, we're, we're fighting or hiding from. I think for a lot of us who never experienced challenge at all, unless it's a video game, and we get into our video games, we get into our virtual world, because there, there's risk and there's challenge, and, and yet when you fail, nothing is lost. See, I think we've got a real problem with the fear of failure in our culture right now. And if that's you, if you know this is speaking to you, I'd challenge you to read Steve Howard's Edify this week. If you don't subscribe to that, you can get it on our website. Just search for it on our website. It's, it's all about failure. And it's about how failure can bring you more success, more blessing rather than success can. Failure can bring you more blessing than success can. Sometimes that failure can be a very good thing. See, what is it that's keeping you from identifying your next big thing? And here's what I can tell you, that when you stop searching for that next big thing, that's also when you stop living. Because God created you for big things. God created you to be used in his power to accomplish big things. That's what he made you for. Just look around at this world around us. This is not the world that God is happy with. This is not the world he created. We messed it up. We're part of the problem. And now God has invited us as his people to be a part of the solution. This world is not what it should be. If you're lacking for, for creativity to figure out your next big thing, just look around at the world for a minute. I mean, just, just look at what happened in South Carolina this week. As, as a pastor, a man of God, and, and, and people studying the Bible are gunned down apparently for no other reason than the fact that their skin is black. Are you kidding me? Is this the world we're still living in? And I know it's all personal and it starts with the man in the mirror. I get that. And yet I wonder, is there someone in here who is dreaming big things, who, who is identifying the next big thing that will move our culture forward away from this, this culture of violence and racism that we're stuck in right now? Is there someone who's going to dream a big dream like Martin Luther King Jr.? Is there someone who's going to envision a, a path to, to heal and reconcile our country the way Nelson Mandela did in South Africa? Or are we just going to relegate ourselves to minding our own business and keeping our world small? See, that's not what God created you for. He created you to be involved in big things, to tackle big things. This is what Jesus did. He's sitting in heaven living his, his privileged life. And, and, and the world is, is, meanwhile, like savaged by ugliness and brokenness. And, and Jesus doesn't go, well, hey, I'm good. No, he looks down from heaven and he says, Father, I want to tackle this big thing. And you know how the story goes. Jesus comes to earth as a vulnerable child and, and he grows up and he teaches people about how to live and how to love and, and what humanity really should look like. And, and then he goes to a cross and he dies. He experiences our violence and our hatred and our ugliness and all of the things that are broken with us. He takes that upon himself and he dies because of it, but he dies for it and he dies for our benefit. And he comes to new life offering hope and reconciliation to a world that's dark and broken. And he does it because he loves us. You see how Jesus, he, he just waded into that next big thing. He saw it and he went after it. And do you realize that, that because of that, because of what Jesus did, not only does his victory over sin and death benefit the whole world, and it benefits people like you and I, so we can be forgiven and free and have life, but do you realize what it, what it did for Jesus? Do you realize that he received glory on the other side of it? 
I mean, what do we say in the creeds as we confess them? We say, he's now ascended. And he's now seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And he will come. He will come. Not the Father, but Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. See, this is something we misunderstand about God. That God doesn't want you to conquer big things only for the world's sake. But also for your sake. You're not just a mindless soldier in God's army. That's, that's not the point. It's a both and for God. He wants to use you to conquer big things in the world for the sake of the world, a world that's broken, a world that's hurting, a world that needs hope, yes. But he also wants you to do it for your sake. He wants you to taste the glory that comes when you're used by God for something noble and good and lasting and eternal. I mean, that's why God stands in front of Joshua, this guy who had served well under Moses. And he says, Joshua, it's not over for you. I've got a next big thing that I want you to tackle. And Joshua, you're going to go into this land where these wicked, murderous, violent, and heartless people live. And you are going to replace them with the people who, who live by grace and who live by truth. And Joshua, it's, it's not going to be easy for you. And there are going to be times where you don't even want to get up in the morning. And, and this task seems so great for you. And you're going to experience loss. And you're going to experience failure. And it's going to be painful for you. And yet, Joshua, I will be with you because I am on your side. I will be for you. And I, I'll be fighting alongside you, Joshua. You will never be alone. And Joshua, on the other side of it, on the other side of that next big thing, you will know a kind of glory that few people ever get to experience. You know the glory of being used by me for some eternal good. You see, unlike Joshua, God's probably not going to communicate to you today exactly what your next big thing is. He may, and you should ask him to, and you should be open, because God does sometimes just drop it in our laps. But for a lot of us, there's going to be a process of, of wrestling with God through this whole thing. And maybe for some of you, you just need to pick something and go at it. And maybe for some of you, you just need to take a step. See, this is how God works sometimes. Sometimes he just calls us to take a step in a direction. And we have no idea where it's going, but he shows us a step to take, and, and he invites us to take a step, and we do, and then he shows us another step that we can take. And then before we know it, God leads us down so many, you know, steps. We take so many steps that we, that we find ourselves at the base of our next big thing. And maybe today God doesn't want to reveal that whole thing to you right now because it would overwhelm you, it would scare you. And he says, you know what, just, just take a step. And eventually I'm going to show you the next big thing that I want to use you for. Uh, my wife, my awesome wife, uh, she's been raising our kids for 12 years. That's kind of been her main deal uh, for the last five years, she's uh, added to that. She's been teaching Spanish here at St. John's School. And uh, St. John's School is a pretty incredible place. We teach Spanish here to kids starting in preschool. That they get to learn a, a language, and it's really an amazing thing. And she, she kind of redeveloped a Spanish curriculum that does immersion Spanish teaching for young kids. And she had done that a few days a week while she was raising our family. And, uh, and, and, and she loves it, and she's great at it. But about a year ago, God started moving in her heart, and she started feeling like God was was calling her to her next big thing. Only problem was that he didn't reveal to her exactly what that next big thing was, only that he had something for her. 
And so she struggled with it for months and, you know, asking God the question, God, what's my next big thing? And, you know, what am I supposed to do? And she still doesn't know. But here's what she did, and, and I, I value this so much. I think this is so courageous. She decided at the end of this last year that she was going to take a step. And the step was going to be away from teaching. And so she left her teaching job that she loves, and uh, she's not sure what's next. And everyone asks her that. So you're leaving teaching. What's next for you? And she says, I don't know. I'm just taking a step. And I'm waiting on God to show me the next step, and eventually he's going to show me my next big thing. Maybe, maybe that's all you need to do today. Just take a step. Maybe you need to step away from a job. Maybe you need to sign up for a class. Maybe you need to call up someone, that, that mentor, that really wise person, and you need to ask for their advice. Maybe you just need to take a step. And in time, God will show you the next big thing. Because here's what I can tell you, all of you, not knowing you all personally, here's what I can guarantee. That you were created to be a part of big things. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you.